Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so glad that all of you are here with us today. We really mean that, particularly if this is your first time with us, because honestly, we totally get how intimidating it can be to step into a new place. So honestly, thanks for, for showing up here, taking that risk and, and walking through our doors and making Grumlaw a part of your week. Now, if it is your first time here, I want to commend you on your impeccable timing uh, because you're catching us at a perfect time right at the beginning of this series, as you notice, called You in Five Years. Before I go any farther, I do want to give a shout out to Fresh Life Church. Fresh Life Church is a church out in Montana, and they were gracious enough to share all this content and all these materials with us. I just love that we're seeing more and more of that among churches, this collaborative spirit that we're willing to work together. Uh, one of my mentors frequently says to me, Shay, we have an enemy, and it is not the church down the street. We, we got to stop looking at each other as competition and instead looking at uh, the, this people working towards the exact same mission. So again, we are starting this series again today called You in Five Years, and I want all of you to kind of take a little bit of a mental journey with me, uh, if you will. I want you to try to pretend that you are walking into your birthday five years from today. So take your age. Uh, I'm 32 years old. Some of you have been begging to ask me that question. You weren't really sure if you were comfortable showing up to a place where the pastor was 19, but like 32, you're like, all right, I can maybe get on board with that. So I'd be walking into my 37th birthday. You picture that number, whatever that number is for you in your head. Imagine even they have like these big gold foil balloons staring you in the face. You have those, that number looking right at you. What do you hope to have accomplished by this point? Where, where, where do you hope to be in life by this point? Now, for some of you, uh, this puts a smile on your face. In fact, some of you are smiling right now and others of you, you're like, wow, I really already hate this series. Um, I personally... Cannot wait for 37. I'm looking forward to 37. I talked about this last week if you were here for Easter, um, that man, my life is just better than it's ever been. I'm, I'm happier and more content than I've ever been. And because of what God has done over these last five years, there's this eager anticipation for what he is going to do. I know he's not done with me yet. What he's going to do over these next five years. And I hope all of you that are sitting here are looking forward to these next five years as well. And if you're not, I'm telling you, this is the perfect series for you to stay placed stay plugged in with, uh, with us as we go over these next five weeks. Now, if you're one of those people like me that you've really been looking forward to these next five years, you're eagerly anticipating that, I'm confident uh, that if you implement what we're going to be talking about here over these next five weeks, it'll actually make it the best five years to date for you. Oftentimes, as I was processing this, uh, oftentimes as we look into our future, futures, I'm convinced that we think too small. Uh, we underestimate what we can do in the long term, and we overestimate what we can do in the short term. We, we, we look in the short term, and we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can get so much done, and we underestimate what we could do over an extended period of time if we were willing to just stick with it. Growing up, uh, my, my parents uh, made myself and my siblings, I have an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister, uh, they made all of us play some form of a musical instrument. And all of us at least initially started out playing the piano. But by the time we got into high school, at that point, if we were really involved with a sport, uh, they didn't force us to continue taking lessons and continue playing that instrument. Uh, and unfortunately, all of us, we all ended up quitting by the time that we ended up got, getting into high school. And that's actually one of my biggest regrets in life. So all you kids out there where your parents might be forcing you to play an instrument, stick with with it, I guarantee you're going to use that a whole lot more in your future than like a lacrosse stick. I never pick up my lacrosse stick anymore, but I really wish I still knew how to play the piano. 
And so it's for that reason that there's a handful of times throughout my adult life, like, you know, five, six, seven times, I've tried to kind of re-engage and re-teach myself the piano. I've naively thought that it would just be like riding a bike, that, that I just, you know, pull out the keyboard and look at the notes and I, I, it all just kind of come back. I know it's, it's parked back there somewhere in the deep recesses of my brain, but it hasn't been that easy. About six months ago, I tried to do just this and I pulled out sheet music and it was like looking at hieroglyphics. Like I had no idea what in the heck I was looking at. And, and usually what happens, and it's what happened six months ago, I, I, I stuck with it for about four, five, six straight nights and I got the basics back down, but then it started to get difficult again. And so I found myself quitting all over again. But I know even to this day, if I would just stick with it for like literally 20 minutes a night, if I would just you know, devote myself to reteaching myself the piano for 20 minutes a night, I'd obviously get it all back. I mean, shoot, I'd probably be a regular Beethoven by now. Not really, but you get the idea. Because of the immediacy of technology, we want everything quickly. And we want it as easily as possible, but just because information is easily accessible, and we've all experienced this, doesn't mean that life skills and habits and competencies are necessarily any easier to master. We're finding out more and more, and this is a scientific fact, that, that attention spans among these younger generations are, are getting actually shorter and shorter. And the stick-with-itness that we see in some of the older generations is actually quickly evaporating from our society. We, we jump ship, like me with the piano, as soon as it gets kind of difficult, as soon as the excitement begins to wane, as soon as we begin to lose interest. And so we don't end up actually sticking with anything long enough to see a significant impact. One of the things that we place a, a huge and a high emphasis on around here at Grumlaw are connect groups, uh, what, what we call our version of, of small book groups. We really encourage people to get out of rows and get into circles. In fact, connect groups, if you've been around here for any period of time, you've heard me say this, connect groups are the most important thing that we do here at Grumlaw. I'm not just saying that. They are more important than these services that we have on Sunday mornings. When you get in that community of other people that are also moving towards God, we've just seen the power of that. And so a handful of times a year, usually about three times a year, we give an opportunity for the entire church to sign up for a connect group. And we place a huge emphasis on it. We talk about it. We advertise it. We do all this stuff. And we usually see a great response. Usually about 75% of the Sunday morning adult attendance ends up signing up for a connect group. But like clockwork, after that first week of meeting, we see between 10 and 20% of people fall off the face of the earth. I mean, they never go back to their connect group. And when we're able to catch up with those individuals and ask them why, okay, why didn't you go back? We typically hear something along the lines of, well, it just wasn't for me. I showed up there and I don't know, they just didn't really seem like my people. And those leaders, they seemed kind of cool in the lobby, but once I got them in the light of their own home, ugh, I don't know what was going on there. Like, I just didn't want to go back. It just wasn't for me, which for me is enough for, to make me like rip my hair out because I believe in connect groups so much. I've seen the value of connect groups. And I'm like, really? You're going to pass a judgment on this whole experience based on just one hour, based on that first evening? There, there, there's some of you that are, that are sitting here today uh, and you're church shopping. That's a term that we hear kind of in our American society where we're church shopping. You're looking for that next place that you might show up to on a regular basis. Don't make a judgment based on one experience. I challenge you with that. Whether it's here at Grumlaw or any other church for that matter, at least go back a handful, at least three times. You're never gonna gain an accurate understanding of anything based on a single hour, based on just a single experience. We overestimate what we can do in the short term and we underestimate what we can do in the long term if we just stick with it. And that's really the premise for this entire series. L let's think bigger than what you could accomplish by the end of May. 
Let's think bigger than what you could get done by, by the end of the summer. In fact, let's think bigger than what you could accomplish by the end of the year. Let's look forward to 2024 and really dream about what could change in your life if you really got after it and you began to trust in God in a way that you never have before. Now, I know that there are people sitting here today, you guys are at all different points in this whole faith journey. Shoot, there are people sitting here today, you're just trying to figure out if this God guy even exists. You're hoping to show up here today and maybe just get some basic questions answered about Jesus. And that is even further reason that you should keep showing up here because you owe it to yourself to get that figured out. Because if Jesus really is who he says that he is, and by the way, there's a whole mess of evidence to suggest just that, then that has enormous implications, enormous implications for how you ought to live your life over these next five years and in fact for the rest of your life. And so in the spirit of stick with itness, I really want to encourage all of you, everybody that's looking back at me right now, I wanna encourage all of you to keep coming back for this entire series. Keep showing up here to Grumlaw for five straight weeks. Now I know some of you, that like really freaks you out. Commitment is just like not your thing. You've never done anything five weeks in a row, except maybe take the trash out. And even that, come on, let's be honest, that has been a struggle for you. But stick with us for these next five weeks and see what God is, is hokey, is, is maybe strange, as far-fetched as this maybe sounds, see what God begins to do in your life. See how God maybe begins to speak to you in new ways. Let me pray for us before we go any farther. Father, I just say thank you uh, that you're a God that's here, that you're present. Um, thank you for, for your promise that as we move closer to you, you'll always move closer to us. And I just pray, Father, that every single person that's sitting here today would be open to whatever it is that you may want to say to them. Because I know that if we're willing to listen, you have something to say to us. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, five years is, uh, is a long time. It's, it's enough time to accomplish quite a bit in your life. As I was preparing this message, I really started dreaming about what, what I, what you, what, what we could get done over these next five years if we really got after it. And so I, I made kind of a positive and a negative list, but I want you to ask yourself that question. What could you do in the next five years? We'll start out with the positive list because we're a church and we don't want to be all doom and gloom here. But uh, the first thing I wrote down is you could be fluent in a new language. Five years is, is plenty of time to literally be fluent in a new language. Learning a new language is in fact easier than it's ever been. With things like Rosetta Stone and all the tools that we have online, shoot, there's just countless resources right on YouTube alone that over five years, you could absolutely be fluent in a new language. How many of you by a show of hands took some sort of a language class in either high school or college? Come on, put them up. Look at that, just about everyone. So all of you have that base level of knowledge floating around in your head. I, I took Spanish when I was in high school and I really wish that I would have stuck with it. I would love to be able to fluently speak Spanish. Whenever my wife and I go to like a Spanish speaking country, she just cringes because I think I'm fluent. And she's just like, oh dear Lord, you are saying things that don't make sense, right? I, maybe you're one of those people, you, you've watched you know, Home Alone for your entire life, and you've always wondered what les compétents means, okay? Like, okay, take French, get that nailed down here. Five years is plenty of time to make that happen. Uh, next thing I wrote is you, you could earn a degree. Now, we know that higher education doesn't necessarily mean employment. There's a whole mess of 20-something-year-olds in here that would be like, amen to that. But, but, but maybe you know that, that if you go back and you get that degree, it'll afford you new opportunities at your current place of employment. Maybe you've always had that urge and, and desire for higher education. Maybe you're a person that once you kind of got out of college and you got settled into the career that you thought you were supposed to get settled into, you're like, this ain't for me. And you've always had the desire to go back and do something else. Well, five years is plenty of time to make that happen. 
with night classes, with online schooling, with community colleges. No matter how busy, whether you're married, not married, kids, no kids, five years, you can make it happen. At the end of those five years, you could have that two or three letter acronym sitting at the back of your name and we could all bow down to how intelligent you are. You can master an instrument. Maybe you show up here each week and you're looking up at this band and you're like, surely if that bearded guy can pull this off, it is not that talented. I think I could get it down. Uh, what's funny is actually most of the musicians that you see up here on, on Sunday mornings like never took lessons. They're all self-taught. They watch YouTube videos. They, they watch their friends play instruments. I have a buddy that's in a, in a pretty big band that's he's actually widely regarded as one of the best drummers in the world now. And he still to this day literally cannot read sheet music. Everything that, that he learned was literally just by watching YouTube videos. He never took a lesson in, in his life. You could absolutely master an instrument, plus your family is tired of you living out the glory days of hot cross buns on the recorder. By the way, why are we still giving kids recorders? It is the stupidest instrument known to man. They all just treat it like a whistle. I used to lie my way through those little like things too when they go on the tests, like, I, like the human recorder. I didn't do this in the first service, but like... I, I wouldn't even be putting my fingers down. I'd just be blowing the notes and like the lady didn't even know. Okay, anyway, you can take up. That's <laughs> so stupid. All right, you can take up a new hobby. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is hunt. I absolutely love, love, love to deer hunt. And for all you animal lovers out there, I promise it's not just because I love walking through the woods and gunning down Bambi. Uh, it is the quietness and the stillness that comes with hunting. I love that. I look forward to those three, four months a year where I just get to get away and get to spend like this unadulterated time with God. I mean, it's so hard to find those moments in our lives where you completely unplug and you just have time to literally listen to God. There's a lot of people that deer hunt around here. And for that reason, there's been a number of people since we've started this church that have asked me like, hey, can you teach me a little bit about hunting? I'd love to get into it because their parents didn't teach them it. You know, their dad wasn't a hunter. They don't have anybody in their family was a hunter. Well, shoot, five years, you, you, could, you could lock down hunting. You could be like a regular Ted Nugent at the end of five years. I, I've talked about this before. One of the things uh, that I'm always kind of taken aback by is I, I meet a lot of new people because of what I do for a living. And one of the questions that I frequently ask people is like, okay, what do you like to do for fun? Like, like what are your hobbies? And I know you work and I know you, you know, play with your kids, hopefully. Like, but what do you like to do outside of that? And most of the time people look back at me like, what kind of an offensive question is that? And then they usually say something like, well, my wife and I, we, uh, we're getting into Netflix. I'm like, I don't think that's a hobby. Uh, and it's obviously not just hunting. You could take up mountain biking. You could start kayaking with your spouse. You could finally get that CrossFit membership. You could start crocheting. I mean, I don't get that, but hipsters love it. You could plant that backyard garden you keep telling your friends about. You could start snow skiing. Uh, you, you could put on those squirrel suits and start jumping off of cliffs and like gliding through the air. I mean, it seems reckless to me, but shoot, at the end of five years, you could be sponsored by Red Bull. You could finally start reading. It's another thing I can't believe, like so many people just don't read. There are so many resources out there available to us. The, the average length of a book is about 200 pages. And if you read just one book a month, you would only have to read about six pages a night, which for any of us, no matter how slow of a reader you are, that is not taking you longer than 15 minutes. And at the end of five years, you would have, will have read 60 books. We all can read a, a book a month. You get the idea. Whatever that thing is that you've thought, man, I'd really like to get into that, take these next five years and actually get into it. You could be released from financial bondage. Uh, one of my passions is just kind of helping people with, with, their, with their finances because I've just seen how debt has such a unique ability to paralyze and, and cripple people. Uh, particularly young couples, just right out of the get-go, just immediately causes tension in their marriages. And, and oftentimes the reason that people are owned by the things that they own, which is really what debt is, is because there's never a quick solution. 
They always want that quick fix to their debt, and it's just not the way that debt goes. It is a slow, and it is an arduous race, usually like a five-year race. Over the next five years, you could certainly downsize your home and, and no longer be house poor. You could get out of those leases and actually own your vehicles. You could pay off those student loans. You could pay off that, that credit card debt. Five years is plenty of time, believe it or not, to experience complete financial freedom, to experience that freedom from consumer debt. And then the last thing I wrote down, you could be closer to God than ever before. Research now indicates that the regular churchgoer, the person that says they regularly show up to church, it's down to about a third of the time. Because they come to church about a third of the time of the year, which for a guy like me is a bit depressing. Uh, how about you actually commit to showing up here every single Sunday? I mean, you make this such a priority. We only get to do this about 52 times a year, not about, exactly 52 times a year. What would it look like if you made like that the thing you made it a real priority, not just the thing that you do when you don't have anything else going on. What if you finally signed up for a connect group? What, what, what would it look like if you actually started spending daily time with God? You started rolling that alarm back about 15 minutes earlier and every single day when you woke up, rather than going to your phone and aimlessly scrolling on Instagram or, or Facebook, rather than just starting to read news articles, rather than just like zoning out and pressing snooze 20 times, how about you actually like got up and spent daily time actually talking to God, sharing honest feelings with him, which is all prayer is. What if you actually allowed the word of God to speak into your life, that this actually, all of this actually became more than religion. And at the end of five years, you could look at people in the eye with full integrity and say, I actually have a relationship with Jesus. That's not some pipe dream that we talk about on Sunday mornings. That's something that people absolutely experience and something that is available to you. Now, those are some of the more positive examples that I thought of. But obviously, five years is plenty of time to do a lot of negative, to do a lot of bad. You could screw up your life in, in a big, big way over these next five years. Uh, you could be divorced. It's like, oh my goodness, that sounds pretty harsh. But come on, divorces happen all the time. Your marriage could certainly be dissolving because you continue to neglect your spouse and place your needs ahead of theirs, rather than treating marriage as a submission competition. Ra rather than constantly saying, okay, you know what, I I'm gonna constantly put their needs ahead of mine. I'm gonna constantly ask myself the question, what is better for her? What is better for him? You could have a, you could have a new addiction. That sounds exciting. Uh, th those three or four beers that you drink every night and the partying that you do a couple times a month, that could certainly give birth to full-fledged alcoholism. There's no shortage of alcoholics in our world. One of the more sobering, no pun intended, one of the more sobering experiences that I've had over this last year was researching AA meetings for a friend. There are literally AA meetings in every community, every hour, usually multiple meetings every hour of the day across the United States because alcoholism is so prevalent. You could take up smoking. That, that would be fun, right? You could take up smoking. Uh, shoot, at the end of five years, you could have smoked 36,500 cigarettes and all you would have to do is smoke a pack a day. How about that for motivation, huh? Now, now, some people hear that and they're like, okay, are you one of those people that say smoking is a sin? And I even get that question from time to time. Like, is smoking a sin? Can, can I get into heaven if I smoke? And I'm like, absolutely. You'll in fact actually get there far quicker. Uh, <laughs> you could still be looking for your dream job. You can still be looking for that dream job. You can still be wandering from job to job that you partially apply yourself to before inevitably quitting or, or getting fired and continue to make excuses to everybody else that it wasn't your fault. You, you could be more overweight 
than ever before, never having consistently stuck to a diet or a workout regimen, and you could be full-blown apathetic five years from now and just resolved yourself to, well, that's just who I am. You could be even further buried in debt because you just could not handle, I mean, oh my goodness, you just couldn't handle driving the 2002 Civic. You had to have the 2020 Tahoe. You had to buy the boat. I mean, there's something, I mean, you just, you convinced yourself you needed to buy more of those. You kept making minimum payments on your school loans. You kept making minimum payments on that credit card debt. And then lastly, your, your relationship with God could be exactly the same as today. You could continue going through the motions spiritually, convincing yourself that showing up to church every once in a while ought to appease God, it ought to make God happy, all the while ignoring the fact that he desperately wants a relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son to die for you. You in five years. Where do you want to be? Five years from today. Along those lines, the most precious commodity that any of us have at our disposal is, and by the way, this isn't some, this some just wise saying, this thing that just sounds good. In fact, the older you get, that the more true this happens to ring. Help me finish this statement. The most precious commodity that any of us have at our disposal is time. First service yelled out money. No, I'm just kidding. They did not. Time, indeed time. Because life is so fleeting, it's so easy as we've all experienced to waste time. And we also, none of us have any idea how much time we have left. There, there will be people in this room that will absolutely live well into their 80s. There, there, there will be even a couple people that'll probably make it to their 90s. Uh, and not to be morbid, but there also will be people that won't be sitting here five years from now. They'll be struck down by some sudden illness, some, some freak accident, a car accident. I love how Aristotle puts this. He says, we should count time by heart throbs, meaning every single time your heart beats, ba-boom, ba-boom, is a gift. And none of us are guaranteed that our hearts are gonna keep beating. Life is a gift and none of us know exactly how long it will last. Now this whole idea of, of time being fleeting, uh, of time being a precious commodity, this wasn't unique to Aristotle. Uh, it, it's been in fact a, a thought for as long as seemingly there's been mankind, seemingly since the first person stepped foot on earth. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Paul, and we, we touched on Paul a little bit last week, uh, if you were here for Easter. Paul, who is responsible for spreading this, this thing that we now refer to as Christianity around much of the ancient world. Paul, who is in fact the reason that any of us even know who Jesus is. Now, it's important to get a little bit of a backstory on Paul. Paul, before he became Paul, actually went by the name of Saul. And Saul was a fire-breathing, Jesus-hating Pharisee. A Pharisee was a sect of Judaism that practiced this really, really strict adherence to the Torah, the 613 laws that were contained within the Jewish scriptures. And Paul, Saul, was was as good at keeping those 613 laws as anybody that ever walked foot on the earth. And so up comes this new movement known as Christianity and, and he's hearing about it. In fact, he's starting to see it firsthand and he takes one look up into heaven and he's like, don't worry God, I got this. And he makes it his life's work to destroy Christianity to eviscerate Christianity from the face of the earth. And he was a type A personality, and I'm telling you, he would have gotten it done. He was going around and he was arresting and persecuting, and in some cases, even killing Christians. And then in a way that only God could have possibly orchestrated, Saul gets a new name, he starts being referred to as Paul, and the very name that he was once seeking to destroy, Jesus Christ, he's now on the front lines spreading the name of Jesus. In fact, he would go around and he would plant all these ecclesias, the Greek word that actually we translate as church, which is a horrible translation. Ecclesia literally translated means gathering, means people, it means assembly. So he starts forming all of these little ecclesias all around the ancient world and oftentimes what he would do is he would later write these letters back as a form of encouragement 
back to these early churches that he had helped start. Now, one of those places was actually Rome, and he had never actually visited Rome, but yet there were all these little house churches that were popping up all over the place. And in Paul's letter to the Romans that were living in, uh, to the Christians that were living in Rome, he stresses the importance of seizing the moment about being intentional with this precious commodity that we call time. And it says here in the 13th chapter, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Time is ever moving. None of you are getting any younger. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. No, no, no matter who you are, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, chances are you believe in something after this life. In fact, I find this so interesting that in our increasingly irreligious American society, still 97% of people believe that there's something after this life. That they don't think that this is it. They believe that there is going to be something next. And this is exactly what Paul is appealing to. Time is running out on earth. And because Paul is a Jesus follower, he's saying that the day where we either get to spend eternity with God or separated from him, the whole topic of heaven and hell, that day is quickly approaching. So, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Paul's telling us, get your act together. Stop pretending like the here and the now doesn't matter. Stop living with this attitude that, come on, we've all assumed from time to time of I'll figure it out eventually. I'll figure it out eventually. Now, don't look to the person next to you. Parents don't look at your kids. Husbands don't look at your wives. Wives don't look at your husbands. Look at the you looking back at you in the mirror. We all, come on, we all have the tendency to put it off, to get to it tomorrow to make that change next year, rather than tackling it to the ground in the here and the now. I've been very open and, and shared about this before and vulnerable about this part of my life. Uh, for, a, for a significant portion of my life, uh, unfortunately, like well into adulthood, uh, I really struggled with exaggerating and still do from, from time to time. And it, it was about when I got into college that I realized, oh my goodness, I am so not truthful all the time. Like, like I, I literally, I, I embellish so much of what I say to, to make myself look better, you know, than I actually am. And this was my attitude for, for such an extended period of time that I'll get to it eventually. I'll figure it out when I get married. I'll figure it out when I get a job. I'll figure it out when I graduate. I'll figure it out when, when I get to this point in my relationship with Jesus. I'll figure it out eventually. But guess what? Eventually never came. And it was not until a friend, a mentor of mine, loved me well enough to look me in the eye and say, Shay, you are not an exaggerator. You are a liar. And I allowed the weight of that to sit in. It was only then that I started to deal with it. Your debt is not going to figure it out on its own. Those LBs are not just going to magically fall off. That habit that you took years to develop is going to take years to untangle. You aren't, you aren't going to stumble into a relationship with God by happenstance. It's one of the questions that, that I frequently get from people all the time. How do I get like that relationship thing that you're talking about? Because it does seem like I show up here on Sunday mornings and I'm, I'm kind of feeling something, but, but how do I get that relationship with God? And interestingly enough, oftentimes that question is coming from people that have been at this church thing for a pretty significant portion of their lives. I mean, they, they, they could talk about Christianity inside and out, and they're asking me, well, how do I get that relationship? And 
I just have to be really blunt with people sometimes. And I don't want this to make me sound like a jerk. So it's your first time here. I wouldn't give you the same response. But for those people that have been going to church for like literally their whole lives, I mean, you just have to be blunt sometimes and be like, okay, at a certain point, it's either a priority or it's not. Get your butt out of bed. You wake up every day for work. You eat. You find time to spend with your spouse, with your kids. Either God's a priority or he's not. Set that alarm clock earlier. Get out of bed, start spending time with him. Either it is a priority or it's not, but it's not just going to be something that you stumble into. I didn't stumble into my relationship with my wife. I didn't stumble into my relationship with my brother. It takes work, it takes discipline, it takes obedience. He continues, he says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. And even if you don't, as it says here, belong to the day, even if you wouldn't necessarily wear that label of of, of Christian, you would still be wise to follow this advice. I, I say this all the time. But the reason that, that Jesus wants you to do certain things and would advise you to not do other things, things like wild parties and, and getting drunk or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and, and being jealousy of other people. The reason that he doesn't want you to do those things isn't because he's a control freak. It, it's way, way better than that. It's because he knows what all of that leads to. He knows it's temporary. You know, he knows it provides a fleeting satisfaction and most notably it leads to regret. And he's going, I have something way better for you. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The key to true freedom, the key to true fulfillment is not found in things. And in fact, your life has taught you that. Instead, it is found in Jesus. Jesus, who has gone to great lengths to demonstrate his love for you and show you that he really does want what is best for your life. And what Paul's driving home here, good or bad, whether you look back on these next five years positively or negatively, the ways you let in are the ways you are set in. The ways that you allow into your life will inevitably become the ways that you are set in. I have my ways, you have your ways. Our ways are how we choose to react, how we choose to respond, how we choose to speak, when we choose to insert ourselves and when we choose not to, when we accept and when we decline, when we stay and when we go. Your checking account speaks of your ways. What you comment online speaks of your ways. Your texts speak of your ways. The stuff that you post on social media speaks of your ways. Some of your ways you were adopted from your parents. Your father's terrible spending habits. Your mother's short fuse. Your friends, what you consume on television. Your place of employment. But make no mistake about it. The ways you let in are the ways you are set in. And that's really what we're going to be unpacking here over these next five weeks. What are you going to let in over these next five years? How how will you use this precious commodity known as time to your advantage? Because keep in mind, future you is just an exaggerated version of current you. If you are a kind person now, 
In the future, you will just be kinder. If you are a stingy person now, you will just become more and more stingy. If you've ever wondered, oh my gosh, how did that person get so exceedingly generous? It's because they developed the habit habit earlier in life and future them has just gotten more and more generous. Future you is just an exaggerated version of current you, but you determine what you let in in your past certainly does not have to define your future. You can be a better version of you five years from now. And guess what? It's not going to happen because you make some drastic decision this morning. That is overestimating what you can accomplish in the short term. And in fact, this morning, I'm not gonna challenge any of you with anything beyond just come back next week. Just keep coming back for this series. Let's do our best to focus on the big picture. Ongoing consistency is much more important than short-term intensity. And one more story I wanna share with you and then I promise I'll get off the stage. Uh, Several years ago, there was a study done in in Australia with 900 people. Uh, The average age of the people was 39 years old. They split everybody into two groups, 450 on one side, 450 on the other side. In group A, first 450 people, they instructed them that whenever they were going to spend extended periods of time outside on a sunny day, when it was nice and sunny, so when you're outside sunbathing, when you go to the beach, when you surf, whatever the heck else they do in Australia, when you're going outside and you're spending extended periods of time outside, apply a high-intensity sunscreen. Apply SPF 50 when you're going outside and you're going to spend a lot of time outside. And then to group B, the other 450 people, they instructed them every single day, rain or shine, doesn't matter the day, make it a part of your morning routine, apply a low-intensity sunscreen. Every single day, apply SPF 15 no matter what. Even if you're going to be sitting in an office all day, every single day, just make it a part of your routine, apply to your entire body, SPF 15. At the end of four and a half years, almost five years, almost the perfect illustration, at the end of four and a half years, the group that applied SPF 50 only when they were going outside and going to spend extended periods of time outside, there was noticeable aging. You could hold up pictures of those people and you're like, dang, they got more wrinkles. They look a little bit more leathery. Like they looked different. Whereas the individuals that applied SPF 15 every day, there was no physical change. I mean, it it didn't look like they had aged a bit. And what's true of your skin is also true of your soul. Ongoing consistency is so much more important than short-term intensity. Future you is just going to be an exaggerated version of current you. So keep coming back for the rest of the series as we continue to have a dialogue around you in five years and making sure that you look back positively on you five years from today. Let's, let's, let's look forward and continue to have a dialogue and a conversation about how making sure that you in five years is the best possible version of you.